God never gives us as much as we can handle. God always gives us more than we can handle. God never gives us more than He can handle, and that's the point. God always invites us to something beyond what we feel comfortable with, so that we realize we're not supposed to live in our own resources anyway. We're supposed to learn how to live beyond what we would choose. That's where the life of God is. It's beyond where our resources end. There's a saying that you've likely heard and maybe even said it in an effort to comfort someone else. God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, as you just now heard from Pastor Daniel, that's not true at all. God frequently gives more than we can handle. You'll see that displayed in the Israelites' lives today, but you'll also see that God doesn't abandon them. He walks with them, provides for them, and gets them through the trial. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Desert Years Revisited. When I was a teenager, I definitely thought my parents were lame. I definitely didn't like, but I realize now as I've gotten older, I'm like, wow, my parents were just trying to help me. They were trying to keep me out of trouble, out of jail. They were trying to keep me alive, you know? But they put boundaries in place, and that's what God does. He puts boundaries, and he says to them, listen, don't mess with them. I'm not giving you any of this land. I don't want you to go to war with them. And even says in verse six, I want you to buy food from them with money that you may eat. I want you to buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord God has blessed you with the work. And really what he's saying, in effect, is he's saying, listen, I don't want you to take anything from them. I want you to buy it because I've blessed you. And because I've blessed you, I'm actually going to bless the descendants of Esau through you because they're going to be able to sell what they have to you. And you're not going to mess with them. You're not going to hurt them. You're not trying to take their land, anything like that. But I want you to pass along the blessing through something as simple as commerce. And I love that. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. And I believe that's a promise for the people of God, that God's saying, look, I want to bless you in all the work of your hands. I want you to be involved in the things that I care about. And when you do that, I can bless the work that you do. And we should live our lives that way, that no matter what we're doing, we could say, Lord, this is the work that you have called us to. Can you bless that work? I like to do this when I go out to eat food that is not all that healthy. And then you pray, you bless the Lord. You're like, Lord, if there's any way possible to bless this triple bacon barbecue burger with extra salt. You're like, if there's a way to bless this to my body, Lord. And every time I pray that, I feel convicted because I'm like, if I don't believe God can bless this to my body, I probably shouldn't be eating it. You know what I mean? But I'm like, Lord, but I'll, I'll work out tomorrow, Lord, you know? <laughs> so I'm trying to get saved by works, but that's a whole other discussion. But we want to live our lives in such a way that God can bless the work of our hands because we're doing his work. And I've always heard it said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And that's a good word, isn't it? That when you do God's work in the ways that God prescribes, you'll never lack God's supply to get that work accomplished. 
whether it's God's presence or the resources needed. So we have to do God's work in God's way. Now look at what it says in verse 8. It says, And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezion Gibor, we turned and passed by the wilderness of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. The Amim, who dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous as tall as the Anakim, they are also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites call them Amim. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir. The descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. And so what we find is that not only did the Lord forbid them to attack the Edomites or the descendants of Esau, but they're also not to harass the Moabites, who are the descendants of Lot, if you remember that story from the book of Genesis, a kind of a sordid tale, and let the hearer understand, or go back and read your Bible, the book of Genesis. And he says, listen, I don't want you to mess with them either. I've given them that land as a possession. And then in verse 10, you get this really strange parenthesis that Emim dwell there, and they're great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. And so now we have this brought out into the open, this Emim, who are the Anakim, who were in that day, they were considered to be giants. They were very, very large. And as you read through your Bible, you'll keep seeing things about the Anakim, and you're going to get other different groups that come up where there were some people who were really, really large, really tall. You think of Goliath was one of those people who was just abnormally tall. Now, I know sometimes you read about there are giants in that day, and you think to yourself, man, well, who can believe that? I'm going to say, just look at the NBA. You know what I mean? Like, there's some really tall, I remember, how many of you remember Minute Bowl, right? He was like 7'7". Seven, seven. Like, that dude could touch the rim, like, just standing there. Like, I can't touch the rim standing on some of you guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's like, and this guy's just like, you know, and I saw this picture because, you know, being from the East Coast, I'm a New York Knicks fan. Don't hate, you can pray for me. It's been a long road. But Kristaps Porterzingis, who's like 7'4", and there's this picture in the New York Post who literally, he's standing next to a reporter, and like the reporter goes up to his like stomach. And there's this great pal. I'm like, dude, that dude is huge, you know? And so sometimes God makes people big, you know, in height. Sometimes he makes us big in width. Some of us are big on the inside, however it goes. But God makes some big people. And so we find out here that there are these people who are called the Emim or the Anakim. And we find out that the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir. And so we get this parenthesis giving some details about the land and who dwells there. We're going to see more about this. But it's an interesting parenthesis that pops on up in there. And so for those of you who like searching the Bible down and trying to understand I would encourage you to do a search on giants in the Bible because it pops up in a number of places. Now, I do encourage you to do that, but I also don't want to encourage you to be conspiracy theorists. There's enough of those in the world. And the beauty of a conspiracy theory is that you can take a few pieces of information, you can make up anything you want because it's a conspiracy. But in the Bible, there's discussions of people who are uniquely large. 
And there's all sorts of things in there. And so as for those of you who like to nerd out on the Bible, which I am definitely with you, like when you find these kind of strange things, go and do some research on it. Now, I could do whole sermon series on some of the weird stuff in the Bible, and maybe I should, you know, just do like a series, and I can explore all this stuff, and I'll probably confuse more of you than I will bless. But there's a lot of stuff in there that people have very unique theories about, and, and I think the Emim and the Anakim, these are those type of groups where there's all sorts of theories about it and things that were going on and things that people believe about what was going on. And if you read the writings of the rabbis... I mean, there are volumes of some very, very weird ideas about what goes on. And so, but that's what the Bible just tells us, that there were these people who were very, very large. Now, in verse 13, it tells us, now rise and cross over to the valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of Zered. And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. And now, you know, we see this again. They keep moving, and it takes them 38 years to do something that should have taken them just a few weeks. And we talked about this in Deuteronomy chapter 1, that this generation who should have went into the promised land because they didn't trust God, they interpreted the information not by faith, but by sight. And they rebelled against God. And so God said, because you're not going to trust me, then you don't have to go into the promised land. And unfortunately, sometimes God answers our faithless prayers by giving us exactly what we want. And my encouragement to you is to walk by faith and not by sight. Because the last thing you want is to get what you want only to realize that God had something way better. And I think that's a challenge for us as Christians. Because I think the church today has really decided that it really likes common sense more than the Bible. It really likes logic more than the Bible. Now, I'm not saying don't use common sense. I'm saying God has given us a brain and we should use it, but we should always place our ideas under the authority and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And in our Bibles, the Holy Spirit oftentimes invites us to do things that we would never have done. But we have to take those steps of faith. It's almost trite for us as Christians, but it shouldn't be. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water and they're like, oh, a ghost is coming. Like, oh, it's the Lord. And Peter's like, well, but you, Lord, let me walk on the water with you. Now, how many of you, if you saw someone walking on the water, say, hey, if it's you, I'll do it too. Very few of us, but you gotta love Peter. Peter's talking before he's thinking, right? And then the Lord's like, come on. And what does Peter do? He steps out of the boat. And what does he do? He literally walks on the water. How many of you guys saw on YouTube, on Facebook, there's that uh, Shaolin Kung Fu monk guy who was walking on the water. It was funny. He was actually walking on wood on the water. So I'm like, who is this guy really? No, it's like he had to put wood because it gives him a little bit of resistance. Super hard. I can't walk on any kind of water. But this guy, but Peter didn't have boards set up to give him a little resistance. He literally stepped out and walked on the water. And he was able to do it because Jesus said to do it. And Peter, in his blissful naivety, was willing to step out. But then what happens, Peter got his eyes on all the things around him, got his eyes on the storm, and, oh my goodness, I'm walking on water. And he immediately sunk. And what did Jesus do? He grabbed him and saved him anyway. You ever wonder what Peter thought about that after it was over? Like, we don't have that in the Bible. Like, Peter being like, man, like, so like, 
I totally walked up. Did I really walk on the water? You totally did. Really? I've never done that before or since. <laughs> and you can imagine in Peter's mind, he's like, why did I look at the wind and the waves? I could have walked all the way home on the water. That would have been awesome. But you got to think Peter thought back about that moment, what that was like. And I think for us, the encouragement is, is that when God calls us, we have to say, here I am, Lord, send me. And oftentimes God calls us to things that we would never choose for ourselves. You got to ask, if you're always getting called to things that you would choose for yourself, then you're probably not getting called by God. You're getting called by your own ideas. I love the fact that God always calls us beyond what we can do. In our staff meeting, we have it on every Tuesday. It's a great time, our all-staff meeting. I said, how many of you feel like there's so much stuff on your plate, you just can't get it all done? And literally every person on our staff's hands went up. And I'm like, you know what I love about this? It's always like this. Because God never gives us as much as we can handle. God always gives us more than we can handle. God never gives us more than he can handle. That's the point. God always invites us to something beyond what we feel comfortable with so that we realize we're not supposed to live in our own resources anyway. We're supposed to learn how to live beyond what we would choose. That's where the life of God is. It's beyond where our resources end. And for many of us, we're so used to living within our resources. Anytime something goes on that's outside of our resources, we freak out, right? Because freaking out is what you do when you can't walk by faith. Right? You just freak out. I can't do it. And the Lord's like, well, yeah, duh. That's the point. The point is you can't do it. So now you have to rely on me, which is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And as you rely on me, you're going to learn things about me and about yourself that you would never learn if I kept you in your nice little safe box that you have all the resources for. We need to learn how to step out. We have to learn how to say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I trust you. And the children of Israel suffered because they weren't willing to step out. God invited them to a land that was beyond their reach. There was walled cities and great fruit and amazing, huge people. And we can't do it, but the Lord was with them. And oftentimes we get ourselves focused on what we can't do rather than on what God can do. And I think maybe more than anything, we gather together Wednesday by Wednesday and Sunday by Sunday to be reminded that we need to believe in a God who can do everything that we could never do on our own. And that we can live into that reality of freedom and hope in God's inexhaustible resources rather than our little handful of things we have. So as we continue, look at what it says here. Now in verse 16, so it was when the men of war had finally perished from among the people, verse 17, that the Lord spoke to me saying, this day you were to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab, and when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I've given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. That was regarded as land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them the... Zamzumimim. That's a great word, isn't it? See, reading God's word is good for your heart, you know? Just tomorrow when something goes on, go, Zamzumimi. People are like, what are you talking about? Be like, you need to read your Bible. You got to come to Bible study with me. You don't know what Zamzumimi means? Everyone knows what that means. (laughs) 
That's a great word, isn't it? Listen, any of you who are going to have some kids, Zamzumimi is my recommendation <laughs> for the baby name. If you guys see Lynn, say, Daniel's got a new baby name. Zamzumimi. You can call him Zammy, Zoom Zoom. Oh, it's, this is, you can have a blast with this one. I think I might legally change my name just so everyone's got to call me Pastor Zamzumimi. We should do that, right? Amen. If you want, you can just call me that from now on. I'll answer to it. Then you can say, Zam you. No, no, just kidding. Don't say that. <laughs> I said, Zam you. That's a nickname. What, what, what are you thinking I'm saying? You, s- you sinners. <laughs> All right. Where were we? Verse 21. As a people great, numerous, and tall as Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them to dwell in their land. Verse 22. Just as he had done for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Zir, when he destroyed the Horites from... Don't laugh at that. That's someone's name. From before them, they dispossessed them and dwelt in the place even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kafarim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. And so now again, we get some parenthesis. We find out that the land of the Amorites was not for their possession. They're still on the east side. They're going to move to another land. And for those of you who want to learn a little bit about Hebrew, the, the plural form in the Hebrew is the suffix I-M. So every time you see like the zazumimim, the eems were always as a plural form. So like even in God's name, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God is the word Elohim, which anybody who knows anything about Hebrew would say, it's a plural word. And it's the beginning of the unpacking of the doctrine of the Trinity, even though people who are Jewish wouldn't say it that way, they would say, well, God in his majesty, they call it a plurality of majesty. And so there's a lot of ways, but the idea of that word im, avim, we keep getting the im over and over again. And so sometimes in our Bible, it just transliterates the word over, but that's a word that's a plural word. It means more than one. And so we get, they're not supposed to take the land of Ammon. There's other giants in that area. And notice that the Lord defeated the giants. Did you notice that? In verse 21, but the Lord destroyed them before them. Now, it bears to take a moment to remind you that God is good at defeating the giants in your world. God is really good at it. God is not scared of the giants in your world. And in a lot of ways, our ability to defeat the giants in our own life comes from trusting in the God who's not scared of some giants. Make sense? So in verse 24, it says, Rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I've given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And so we've seen this already with this king, and he's, they're going to be going into this land, and he's like, listen, I want you to cross on over, Sion the Amorite king, we're going to take care of him. Now, in verse 26, look at what it says. Again, we've seen this in Numbers chapter 21, the defeat of King Sihon. It says, and I sent messengers from the wilderness, verse 26 of Kedemoth, to Sihon king of Heshbon with words of peace, saying, let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right 
nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. Just as the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir and the Moabites who dwell in Ar did for me until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. And the Lord said to me, see, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you Begin to possess it that you may inherit the land. Then Sihon and all the people came out against us at Jahaz, and the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, his sons, and all his people, and we took all his citadels at that time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and little ones of every city. We left none remaining. We took only livestock as plunder for ourselves, with the spoil of the cities which we took from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok, and to the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. Now, we saw this in Numbers chapter 21, but a few things that I do want to comment on as I close this out. Because we saw this already, I would recommend you go back and look in our archives in Numbers 20 and be able to see this. But I do think what's interesting here is now this is their most immediate history, and he goes through it again. And what we find here is that God gave the children of Israel directions to talk to this king and say, we are just going to travel the road. We're going to buy food from you if you will let us, and we want to go on in. But we find out that the king comes on out to battle against them, and we actually find in these verses that the Lord, in verse 30, hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. Now, for those of you who were with us when we were in the book of Exodus, we find the same thing with Pharaoh, where God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, right? But God already told Moses that Pharaoh wasn't going to let the people go and that God was going to do a great and mighty work through him. But he still has Moses go and say, let my people go. And it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and it says that God hardened his heart. Now, this is what you would call the good old-fashioned biblical discussion about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And if God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then how can God hold Pharaoh accountable and all this stuff? And so you run into this. Now, what's interesting is that according to the book of Numbers, when they go to this king's island, they say, let us go through. He comes out to battle against them. But now we find out that God hardened his spirit, made his heart obstinate so he could be defeated. The Israelites were facing a huge battle, something they shouldn't have been able to win. But as you saw, God took care of them. He stepped into a hopeless situation and made them victorious. Why? Because he's God. He's in control. 
Pastor Daniel reminded you today that this same God, the one who saved nations and won wars and created the universe, he's your God too. The same one, still trustworthy, still very much in control. So if you've been waiting to trust him, look today at the evidence. He'll come through for you too. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel continued this refresh series about the wilderness journey of God's chosen people, Israel. There's another battle coming, and the Israelites will again have to trust God to protect them. They'll be instructed not to be afraid, something that's not always easy, unless you're leaning on God for strength. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.